And Lord God, thank you so much for this time we have with you, Lord. As we come to worship you and to pray, to Lord, we sent your spirit already. And God, stir us up, Lord, even more to live for you, God. Stir us up, God, to be aware of what's going on. And even with false doctrine and prophecies, false prophecies going on, Lord, help us not to be deceived as our text today will help us to see. And Lord, we want you more. We need you. And so we ask at this moment, God, as we stop to pray over our study today, that you would speak to us, Lord, clearly into our hearts and that you would open up this passage to us, Lord. Open up our blind eyes and deaf ears to understand the principles that are laid before us and to hear what your Spirit is saying to us. Give us ears, Lord, to hear what the Spirit is saying, a mind to understand and a heart to receive and apply these things into our lives. So we ask for your anointing, we ask for your touch, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let me uh, open up with this. This pastor and author, Charles Swindoll, once wrote this. A friend of mine ate dog food one evening. He writes that it wasn't at some fraternity party, but it it was an elegant student reception near Miami. The dog food was served on delicate little crackers with a wedge of imported cheese, bacon chips, an olive, and a sliver of pimento on top. Yes, it was basically pupus a la alpo. <laughs> the hostess had just graduated from a gourmet cooking course, and so she decided, it looks like, yeah, to put her skills to the ultimate test. I guess that's a challenge, right, to take anything and to make it taste good. Well, Swindoll goes on to write, After doctoring up those miserable morsels and putting them on a couple of silver trays, with a sly grin, she watched them disappear. And then, and then uh, Swindoll writes, My friend couldn't get enough. He kept coming back for more. <laughs> when he found out the truth, he certainly must have gagged a little, and I was thinking, or oh, more than that, <laughs> right? Swindoll then gives this quote now, and this is from Walter Martin's book called Screw Tape Writes Again. And this is what he says Old error in new dress is ever error nonetheless. No matter how you paint it, no matter how you present it, yeah. An error is still an error. Well, as we continue in our study in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul warns the Corinthian believers that the accusations against him are not true. And these false teachers are actually serving up things that are not what they really are. So I've titled today's message this, Beware of the Deception. Beware of the Deception. We're going to be studying 2 Corinthians chapter 11 now. We finished up chapter 10, so as we go on in our study through this book, we're in chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 1 through 15 this morning. And our outline is this. I've broken our passage up into three parts, and this is our outline. Number one is spiritual predators. Number two is senseless accusations. And number three is slippery scammers. So let's begin here with number one, spiritual 
predators, spiritual predators. Take a look with me here now. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. It reads here, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me. We'll stop right there. Now, we begin with the Apostle Paul writing, Hey, you guys, you know, bear with me for a second here. Bear with me. And he says, in a little folly. Or in other words, endure some foolish talking here. Well, what's he, what, what's he saying? Well, Paul considered really talking about himself folly because that's the last thing he wanted to do. He's not into, like, promoting himself or doing anything about himself. Yet, he needed to talk about himself in order to show the Corinthian believers, believers here that the, the foolishness, really, of embracing the false teachers and listening to what they're saying. So he pleads with the Corinthian believers at the end of verse 1, and indeed you do bear with me, and others, please, just, just bear with me for a moment here. So Paul's concern for the believers pushed him into defending himself, talking about himself. And that's what he's saying. Hey, just bear with me for a moment. Bear with me with this foolishness that I got to do that I normally don't do. So remember, remember the false teachers, right? They've come into the Corinthian church there, infiltrated the church, and they've accused Paul, attacked his credibility, attacked his character while Paul is away. And so many of the Corinthian believers, they, they've bit into this. They're believing what they're saying. Many have seen through and they're okay. But there's still some there, that, that this underlying group that still believes the false teachers. A few weeks ago, we, we started to see this as we got into chapter 10, right? Paul addressed the poison that they were saying as the battle for the mind. And that was the title of our message in that first part of chapter 10. And then last week, we saw how Paul showed the Corinthians how to be measuring up the minister. And that was the title for our message at the time. But now as we come into chapter 11, Paul is going to expose their dishonest misleadings. As he talks about himself, he's going to be talking about them too. And so the believers, and this is our title, must beware of the deception that these false teachers have brought into the church. So why does Paul have to enter into this quote-unquote foolish talking, this, this folly? Well, look at verse 2. He goes on and he gives a reason. He says, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So Paul here, he goes on, he says, Here's why I got, I got to talk with this folly. Here's why I really got to talk about me and defend myself and talk about them. Paul wants to protect the Corinthian believers. He's like really their spiritual father, right? He's the one who, who witnessed Christ. He birthed the church. He was there. He founded the church and everything. So he's like their, their spiritual father. So as a spiritual father, he is in uh, jealousy for them. But it's not just a worldly kind of jealousy. But it's not that. It's a godly jealousy he qualifies here. In other words, this jealousy, what is he feeling, is really coming from the Lord. It's how the Lord feels. See, God wants their hearts to be only for him. And, and not stray away with this false doctrine. Not stray from this truth that the false teachers are bringing in. And when our heart strays away from God and his truth, then God gets jealous for us. Notice Paul doesn't write, I am jealous of you. What does he say? But he says, I am jealous 
for you. In other words, I want the best for you. I, I, I want you and I and our relationship to be right there. So Paul, he puts this out this way. I'm, I'm jealous for you. And, and he puts this picture out. He says, you know, Paul, I'm like a spiritual father. I'm getting you ready for a wedding. So you see here in verse 2, he says, For I have betrothed you, or I have engaged you to one husband. And who's that? Jesus Christ. And then everything he does, his job, his duty is to present these believers as a chaste, or meaning pure, virgin to Christ. Now understand, take note that in the New Testament times, that this betrothal, betrothal or, or engagement is actually as legal as marriage. So if, if, even though you're engaged and you say you're unfaithful, that would be considered adultery. So Paul's like, no, I want to protect you from going after the truths in that way. And I want to present you as a pure bride to Jesus Christ. So Paul writes to, to defend himself so the believers would not be corrupted and, and, and stay pure in their faith in Christ. He's trying to protect him from these spiritual predators. That's the heading in our outline this picture god gives we see in revelation 19 7 about the church about the bride and all that we see in revelation 19 7 let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready so here's paul my job is to make sure that the bride is protected and kept pure for the lord so that's why I'm going to have to deal and talk about myself, defend myself, because it's for you guys. It's not for me or my pride or anything of self, but it's for you. So you would not be succumbed or, you know, uh, uh, preyed upon by these spiritual predators. Verse 3, he goes on, But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted. I want you to pause right there. Just stop right there. And we'll take the rest of this verse in the next part. But Paul says here, here's what I'm afraid of. This is, but I fear that somehow you guys have been deceived. That somehow you guys have been duped. For as just like how the serpent, and who's the serpent? Satan, right, the devil, deceived Eve, where is that? Oh, back in Genesis chapter 3, by his craftiness. The Greek word there in the original language is devious schemes, yeah? He, his, his trickery, you know, coming in there with his little scamming plan. Paul doesn't want the minds of the Corinthian believers to be corrupted with false doctrine, false truth, false thinking, and then be led astray from the Lord. So Paul's concern is that the false teachers will lead them away from that truth. The truth in where? God's word. God's word. Now, remember what Satan did in the Garden of Eden when he came up to Eve in Genesis 3? He, he approached Eve to tempt her to sin. And this was his scheme. What did Satan do in that Garden of Eden? Well, first of all, in Genesis 3, 1, Satan came in. He doubted God's word. First thing he came in, he doubted God's word. In other words, you know, he came in and he said, has God really said that? You know, did he really say he can't eat of the, the fruit on that tree? 
In other words, did God really say that? Which puts the seed of doubt yeah, in your mind like, oh, well, well, maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't mean what he said. I don't know. Secondly, in Genesis 3, 4, Satan denied God's word. First he doubt, put doubt out, doubted God's word. Then he denied God's word. You know what he said? Hey, Eve, you shall not surely die. It's not what God said. If you eat of the fruit that you're going to die. He, he denied it straight to her face. That's not going to happen. Which what? Denies God's word is true. And then thirdly, in Genesis 3, 5, Satan distorts God's word. He's, he said to Eve, oh, you know what? The day you eat from this tree, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. In other words, God hid this truth from you and, and, and he didn't want you to know that what will really happen and, and here's what's really going to happen. Right? And he distorted God's word. Satan was basically telling Eve that God never meant that. And, and he questioned God's motive. And this isn't what he, he said. So he distorted all. But this is what God's gonna, what's really going to happen. And it was all what? A lie. So Paul did not want the Corinthian believers to fall into that same trap and be led astray. Watch out, you guys. The enemy is still doing the same things. Yeah? He's still coming in trying to make us uh, doubt God's word. He's still coming in denying what God's word is. He's still coming in distorting what it says. Be careful of the devil's schemes. So as we go on here in the rest of verse 3, Paul did not want their minds corrupted from, from here, verse 3, from the simplicity that is in Christ. Verse 4, for he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached. Or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. So what's, what, Paul's, what is Paul saying here? Well, Paul's deep concern was that the Corinthian believers would, he didn't want them to lose that simplicity in Christ. What is that? Well, they would be led astray, and this is how I said, they'd be led astray to religion. Yeah? All these do's and don'ts. All these you got to do this. All you do that. They'll be led astray into religion of Christ rather than a relationship with Christ by faith. There's a simplicity in our faith as Christians and what we find in the, the truth of God, right? That it's about this relationship. Yeah, and it's about what Christ did for us and dying on the cross. And by faith, we believe that and and we can be cleansed of our sin and forgiven and we can go on in this relationship with Christ. It's not about you better do this. You better do that. You better do these works. You better do that. And then God will be pleased with you. And that can get really complicated. But Paul saying, no, I don't want you guys to lose that simplicity that you have in Christ. Now, Paul puts all this in three ways in verse 4. You see, these false teachers have approached this whole idea of what Jesus has done. First of all, he says these false teachers preaches another Jesus. It's, this Jesus is really one of doing works. Many of the commentators believe these false teachers are actually Judaizers. And I mentioned that last time where there are these Jewish scholar guys coming in and bringing in, yeah, Jesus, and then bringing in the law of doing work. So here these, Paul's saying, you know what, these guys preach another Jesus. This Jesus is one of doing works, keeping rituals, focusing on days and rules, 
all to be right with God and appease him. But Paul's like, hey, that's not what I preach. You guys know. Jesus came with grace and mercy. Jesus came with love, and he died on a cross to give you full provision for our sins. He did the work on a cross. We don't have to do that. And then Paul puts out a second thing. You know, the second thing, these false teachers, they bring in a different spirit. What's that? In other words, they come in attacking Paul, attacking leaders, attacking what Paul said, attacking. Remember, and we looked at this last time, they come in with this spirit of division. Where, remember Paul said last time, hey, I came in with edification to build up, but these guys came in to divide and destroy. That's a different spirit here. And then thirdly, Paul says, these false teachers, they preach a different gospel. It's not based on the truth of God. It's not based on salvation by grace through faith, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It, it's not based on what Christ has done for us, but it's more based on what you got to do for God. Paul is saying, hey, these false, what these false teachers teach is not what you originally accepted, what you received, what you heard from me. I mean, originally, Paul, Paul, Paul says, this isn't what I taught you. And then, interesting, at the end of verse 4, he says, you may well put up with it. In other words, you, why are you easily putting up with their false teachers? See, many of these Corinthians have not guarded their minds and they've fallen into the hands of these spiritual predators. I was thinking about this. You might have gotten that knock on the door by the Jehovah's Witnesses. And, you know, I mean, I remember, you know, early on, I, I, I have a thing I say now, but I remember early on, I say, oh, sorry, I don't want your material. You know, they have their watchtower. And I say, you know, you know why? Because I'm a Christian. And they say, what did they say? No, well, we're Christians too, right? Oh, well, no, I really believe in Jesus. Well, we believe in Jesus. But understand, they believe in another Jesus, right? Their Jesus is not God. Their Jesus is not the Lord who created everything. Their Jesus is actually Michael, the archangel. They don't believe in hell or the Trinity. They, and they believe nobody really goes to heaven except what? The 144,000 elders. The rest of the people are going to go in this remade perfect earth. I asked them that one day. I go, really? You're not going to go to heaven? No, but we're going to have this earth. It's going to be perfect. I go, but you're not going to be in heaven. And my heart broke because I want to go to heaven, not just be in heaven, but to be with Jesus, to be with my Lord. And the 144,000 in Revelation 7, that's a misinterpretation. They said that talks about the elders. No, it's they, uh, God made sure we knew the interpretation because in Revelation 7, after he talked about the 144,000, he actually listed all the tribes who make up the 144,000. So just so we wouldn't get mixed up. They are Jewish witnesses, not Jehovah's witnesses. <laughs> that's what I say. And yes, they come in with a different gospel. I mean, salvation to JW is not only, yeah, you're going to have faith in Jesus, but, you know, they add, you got to do good works. you got to go door to door. And you got to live this obedient life. Watch out. Beware of the deception that they don't dupe you into their false doctrine. It's out there, you guys. It wasn't just the Corinthian church. It wasn't just the, the ancient New Testament times, but it's today. In the, in the time we live in now. 
So what's Paul saying? Well, this is our point. Look out for false teachers try to lead you astray from the real Jesus. Look out for false teachers try to lead you astray from the real Jesus. And it's, it's like, 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 pull, like distracting the bride or, or preying upon the bride to go after someone else. A little boy got the part in this church's preschool Christmas play as one of the sheep. He went asking around to find what part the other kids were going to be. And when he got to a little girl named Claire, she told him that she was going to play the part of the Virgin Mary, uh, <clears throat> the mother of Jesus. Well, I think this little boy was ashamed because... Ashamed of his part, just a sheep, because he 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 started he blurted out against this starring role, role that she had. He blurted out, said, "Well, you know, it's hard being a sheep." To which Claire defensively replied, "Well, it's hard being a virgin." Well, I like that because you know this is what Paul is trying to say here. He's trying to tell the church, "Watch out." My job, what I'm doing, what I'm going to share with you is to keep you pure. Because Satan and the false teacher is trying to deceive you into their false doctrine to, to pull you away from Jesus, to pull you away from the real Jesus. And we are that bride of Christ, right? And our hearts are to be given only to the real Jesus. So Paul's like, look out for false teachers that try to lead you astray from the real Jesus. Jesus. Be careful too because sometimes we make up in our mind our idea of Jesus. Yeah? Make sure it's from the Word of God. That you don't make God out to someone you wish or want Him to be and then when God doesn't do what you want Him to do, oh, forget you, Jesus. And then you tell your friends, yeah, I tried God. I tried Jesus. Yeah, I went out. I prayed, but He didn't do this. Is that really the correct, you know, Jesus that you are really following? Or has your love for Jesus, has that become corrupted, right? Has false thoughts about who he has come in? Are you listening maybe to lies that are coming toward you? I mean, think about this. I was thinking about this as I was studying this. Think about how Satan turned Eve, right? I mean, Eve was honoring God. No, this is what the Lord said, and this is what I want to do to obey him. And and. Satan came in, turned her, said, oh, really? Yeah? Nah, don't respect what the Word says, you know? And then what? Eve's, and then he threw, threw this out. Oh, but you know what? You can be like God. And then Eve started thinking about herself, not God. About, oh, what's in it for me? I was thinking about how Satan can be very uh, crafty in taking your thoughts and putting God up higher than you and you're honoring him then he comes in with these things and then all of a sudden what are you thinking about me what's in it for me what's in it for me you and i we we also can easily fall by adding to what god says easily fall into not honoring the lord it's jesus who jesus is it's the simplicity of jesus keep jesus jesus a wise pastor once taught his uh protege Preach a full gospel, Christ and nothing less. Preach a plain gospel, Christ and nothing more. Preach a pure gospel, Christ and nothing else. Christ is all we need. I love that. Well, let's move on here to number two, senseless accusations. Senseless accusations. 
accusations. We've seen, beware of the deception, first of all, spiritual predators. And now, number two, senseless accusations. Verse 5, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 5, it says, For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. All right, so Paul now goes on. He has to defend himself, talk about himself somewhat, and speaking folly to him. And he goes on to address this attack, direct attack, that the false teachers are doing concerning his apostleship. And I mentioned that before. They're like saying, hey, Paul, you're not an apostle. Nah, he's not one. You know, don't listen to him, right? So Paul kind of sort of sarcastically says, look, I don't consider myself at all to be inferior or he's saying less than the most eminent apostles. Now, the word eminent means super duper in our language, basically. So he's like, I, I'm not, you know, they're accusing me of, oh, being inferior, not apostle. But you know what? I'm not at all inferior to these super duper apostles, you know, what they claim to be. They claim, right, their teachings alone, they were the way to God. Paul doesn't have it. We have the knowledge. We have the truth. We're the true apostles. We're the super, we're the supers here, right? But Paul's saying, no, you guys have nothing really on me. One pastor, I like, put it this way. The Judaizers were legends in their own minds. <laughs> I like that. Paul then says in verse 6, Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. So Paul's like, you know, don't listen to him. Just because when I speak, I speak in an untrained way. That doesn't mean I'm not an apostle of God. Paul's like, you know, even if I speak poorly, and that's what the false teachers are saying, it doesn't mean I lack the knowledge, yeah? The truth that, that what I'm sharing with you guys is not of God. It is of God. God gave me that truth through the Holy Spirit. And then he says, which was really thoroughly manifested. It was made clear in all the things I talked about in every possible way when I was with you guys. You heard me. You, I mean, as I mentioned, they were saved under his ministry. They grew under his ministry, right? Some real things were happening in their life. So Paul's like this. Just because I'm not some polished public speaker, it doesn't mean God has not sent me. Do you remember back in chapter 10, verse 10, the false teacher was saying that Paul's speech is contemptible. In other words, useless. It's nothing, right? And understand this, why the false teachers are saying. In this Greek society of Corinth, your oratory public speaking skills validated who you were and your authority. Paul's like, so what? You know, I don't go by that standard that the false teachers are doing. Matter of fact, Paul, remember he was saying, I avoid this dynamic personality, you know, you know, when I talk to you guys, I, 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 I talk in just simple words, you know. I just, I just talk the way I talk. And in 1 Corinthians 2, right, he said the mark of a good speaker or, or of true ministers is, is, is the one who speaks in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the mark of a true apostle wasn't when people say, oh, yeah, that was a good talk. But when the people leave and say, I want to follow Jesus. 
You see, back then, the, the Greek speakers and the Greek guys who came and speak, they were really good at their public speaking. And so people looked up to them. Oh, yeah. You know. So then the false teachers come in and they talk like that. And the people go, oh, yeah, they must be apostle. And then the false teachers accuse Paul of not being an apostle. These are just senseless accusations, right? They're only looking at things in this right way and even in a secular way. Then Paul adds this. Look at verse 7. Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I, I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? Verse 8, I robbed other churches taking wages from them to minister to you. And verse 9, and when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you. And so I will keep myself. So I understand what he's saying. There, here's this other, another accusation coming in that Paul's not a real apostle. You know why? Because he didn't draw a salary from you guys. That he didn't get money when he spoke. You see, real apostles, according to the false teachers, they get a salary. They merit uh, money when they speak. So Paul must not be doing real ministry. How senseless is that? So Paul's like in, in verse 7. So let me, let me ask you guys right now. Did I commit sin because I humbled myself? I, I exalted you guys. I thought of you guys first. And I preached to you free of charge. Is that bad? Is that really a bad thing? And Paul says, you know what happened? I robbed other churches. In other words, I use their offerings to live here in Corinth while I was with you and preached and shared the gospel. I used their offering. I didn't, I didn't even use any. I wasn't a burden to no one, he, he said. Right? I wasn't burdensome at all in verse, verse 9. Matter of fact, the poorer church, remember the Macedonian church didn't have a lot of money, they actually supplied, he says, for my living while I was with you guys, the Corinthian church, which was way richer. They were wealthy, if you remember, in our studies in 1 Corinthians. So Paul's like, I did not receive an offering for myself. I wasn't a burden for you guys. What's going on? Well, understand that the, the, the Greek speakers, the great Greek speakers, yeah, secular public speakers that go on. Remember, they would talk philosophy there, the Greek philosophy and what they thought, and they they. Um, have debates on it, and these great speakers would go out and, and they would receive money. They would take money for their speeches and all. And so the false teachers, see, that's normal. And the great speakers, they get money for what they speak. Paul doesn't take any money for speaking, so he must not be great. Which means he's not an apostle. Crazy how they're seeing things. Crazy how they're using that to come against Paul, attack, his character, attack, his calling, attack, his apostleship. The, the, the false teachers were twisting, right? Taking the logic and twisting and making it look like something that it really wasn't. Oh, be careful we don't do the same thing. Verse 10, Paul goes on and says, As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Achaia is the Corinthian area, right? So what he's saying, as long as this truth of Christ, as long as I'm living this out, you know what, I'm going to keep boasting. In other words, I'm not going to hold back from taking no money. I'm not going to take money just because these guys are saying that. No, I'm going to keep preaching free of charge. Paul will not change his 
policy and how he ministers in Corinth, he's not going to be like the false teachers. Remember back in 2 Corinthians 2.17, he started to expose these false teachers when he wrote, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. But we are men of sincerity as commissioned by God. In the sight of God, we speak in Christ. And then verse 11, he says, Why? Because I do not love you? God knows. Why, why, why don't I take money from you guys? Is it because I don't love you? Yeah, is it be, of course not, right? Of course not. I'm not going to take advantage. But you know what? God knows. God knows what? God knows that Paul cares deeply for them, that Paul does love them. That's why. It's not what the false teachers are saying about him. It's not this twisted, senseless, logic kind of thing they're, they're, they're doing. I mean, remember when Jesus was confronted, uh, or, or, or actually when Jesus confronted, when he confronted the childish ways, the immaturity of the so-called spiritual elite called the Pharisees, right? The religious leaders of that time. In Luke 7.33, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you guys look at John the Baptist, and basically he doesn't eat bread, he doesn't drink wine, he, he doesn't, he's fasting all the time, and you say what? He has a demon. Something's wrong with him. But then Jesus is like, I come along eating, drinking, and then you say, what a glut, glutton. You accuse me of being a drunkard. You accuse me of being a friend. Oh, see, he's a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then Jesus said in Luke 7, 35, he said, wisdom is justified in her children. In other words, the Pharisees' warped wisdom and their logic, right, was immature, childish logic. And it only shows where they're coming from. They're really carnal in their thinking. Well, that's what these false teachers were and how they come up with all this stuff. Oh, Paul, you can't speak, so you're not an apostle. Not like all these great Greek thinkers and speakers, right? Not like us. Oh, Paul, you don't receive money when you speak? Oh, that, that proves you're not an apostle. That proves you're not from God. Because look, all the great Greek thinkers and speakers do, and, and we do as false teachers. How immature is that? So what's Paul saying here? Here's the point. The false teachers... We're only looking for negative reasons to bring Paul down. And they were blind to the positive. That's what's going on. The false teachers were only looking for negative reasons to bring Paul down. And were blind to the positive. They wanted to bring him down so much. They, they had to find something and grab that and say, see, he's not apostle. These false teachers, they're just looking for the negative reason. And they were blind. What's the positive reason? Love. Paul's like, is it not that I don't love you? No, I, he does love the church, right? I'm not going to take any money when I speak because I love you guys. I, don't, I, I, I'm, I, I care for you. And I do that from my heart. These guys were only looking for the bad. I, I heard a story long ago of a parent hearing uh, two brothers uh, playing around in the room when they were supposed to be going to bed. And the father saw the light from underneath the crack on the bottom of the door. So the father was visibly, you know, upset, goes to the room, and he went over, opened the door, and the father immediately gave a vocal reprimand of how they were supposed to be asleep in the dark and not playing or talking with the bedroom light on. 
Well, after the father subsided and calmed down, the older brother explained that he said, sorry, but, you know, the little brother had fell off the bed, and he turned on the light to see if he was okay, and so, you know, so he was able to get back in the bed. It wasn't at all what the father was thinking, right? What was going on? Love was going on. Care was going on. That's what was happening. Well, that's these false teachers. The father was like, Operating in that way, these false teachers were just upset with the negative, right? And didn't see the positive, the love that Paul was actually going on. But isn't that sometimes what we do? We already have in our mind what makes this picture, right, of what's going on. We assume these things, and these things, they, they, they start to make this picture in our own mind, Yeah, That's the false teachers. They already had it out for Paul. They're pushing their agenda. So it's easy for them to look at Paul and look at what he's doing wrong. Man, I was thinking about that. Like, does that describe us, right? Right? I mean, depending on who you're talking about, you see all bad, right? Especially if you have something against them, right? Yeah? Oh, and this, this, this supports how you feel, what you think, you know, your emotions, and you see all bad. Or on the other side, you see all good because you like that guy, right? Is that you? I, I was thinking about that for myself. Oh, sometimes I form these things because, oh, this happened. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you start forming these pictures. And this is what the false teacher is doing. I don't want to be like that. But as believers, what should we be like? Love, right? Grace and mercy. I was thinking about that this morning. God, you give me so much grace and mercy. Who am I to only focus on this one thing? You didn't. I mean, you, you were so patient with me, you know. Brad, Brad was sharing with me this morning about um, his reading in Jeremiah today and about how, you know, uh, how we, we keep saying Jeremiah, God's saying all judgment's going to come upon the nation, going to keep coming. But, but then we were talking about how God waited a long time for that judgment to come. I was thinking, yeah, I'm glad I, God was patient with me. And he loved me as his love and long-suffering and, and that kept, you know, him going. Now, I'm not saying we bury our head in the sand. There's a time and way to confront things. And certainly here, Paul is being up front with these things, and we're going to see this in this next part. But as believers, how we see each other, Right? What's fueling that? Is it, is it really all that bad, right? Or is, is there something behind their fueling that? I was thinking about 1 Corinthians 13, 7. It says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And aren't we supposed to agape love one another? And this is what is described in 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Well, let's move on here. Our last heading, slippery scammers. Slippery scammers. Beware of the deception. Number one, spiritual predators. Number two, senseless accusations. And number three, slippery scammers. And Paul really gets straight here. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 12. Paul now says, But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded, just as we are in the things of which they boast. All right, it's a little hard to understand this at first three, but Paul is saying, look, but, but what I do, what is he doing? That is preaching for free, yeah? 
Because I love you guys. He says, you know what? I'm going to continue doing that. I don't care if it makes me look bad. I don't care. I'm not like these sec- secular Greek thinkers and public speakers. I don't care. I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep stumbling over my words when I speak. I'm going to keep p- talking plain and, and, and regular. You know, I'm not going to be this, ooh, this big. Sp- no. And I'm going to preach for free. Why? He says that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be recorded. So I'm going to do this so I may cut off or undercut is the idea. Those who, who look for and desire an opportunity to be regarded. Regarded what? These false teachers re- want to be regarded as real apostles. So he says I'm going to undercut what they do when they speak and they want to regard themselves as real apostles because we take the money, right? I'm going to undercut that, right? For they try and boast being the very thing, that's what he means by here, of which they boast. They're trying to be true apostles. In other words, here, here's the idea. The truth will be seen when I'm a real apostle that's not after money. <laughs> you get what he's saying? In other words, what is it going to say about them when they only speak to get paid? Yeah? B. Barton in his commentary said, eventually the Corinthians would wake up to the fact that these false teachers, unlike Paul, were more interested in the money of the Corinthians than in their spiritual welfare. Definitely, Paul's saying. You know, I'm, these guys are slippery scammers. I'm going to just keep doing what I do, you know? I love you guys. I'm doing this for a lot. I'm, I'm going to show I'm, I'm, You know what? I'm going to be the true apostle here. And when they show themselves as always doing it for money, then you'll see. Then you'll see who's the true apostles. Verse 13. For such are false apostles. Now he gets really straight. Deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. He says, this is the kind of people we're dealing with here. These false apostles. They're not true apostles. They're deceitful. That word means crafty and corrupt workers. You know what he's saying? These guys are really master deceivers here. So much so, Paul's saying, these wicked men sit there and they transform themselves into apostles of Christ, right? And in reality, these guys are charlatans, yeah? They, they, they make themselves into pretending to be godly, pretending to be holy, pretend to be representing the Lord. Paul calls them for what they are, false and deceitful, wicked prophets. I was reading um, about this Japanese folk legend. There's a creature in the, the legend called the Kitsune, Kitsune, which is uh, like this fox-like creature. And um, he can be nice sometimes, but uh, most of the times he's there to trick you. And what he does, he can form himself into a person, form himself into another animal. He, he's basically, in the legend, this shape-shifting creature. He has shape-shifting powers, you know, like, like we see in X-Men and the mutants and all that, right? I was thinking about that. That's what these false teachers are. They, they're shape-shifters, you know. Watch out for those guys. But then, look at verse 14. Oh, Paul gets really serious here. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Paul's like, no wonder they do that. 
For you know, they're only following the wicked one, Satan, who does this same thing. He transforms himself into this angel of light, a holy angel of God, one of God's holy angels. The NIV actually translates the original Greek here, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. The idea is the false teachers only do what the most evil being does. Yeah, Like the devil, they put on this disguise. Now, I hope you guys understand, and we've gone over this before. We know that, that Satan isn't equal with God, right? Satan is a created being, right? Well, well God, once Satan was God's perfect angel, right? Ezekiel 28, 14 says he was the anointed cherub. Verse 15 says he was perfect in all of his ways. He was holy. He was beautiful. He was, he was, many believe he was one of the highest ranking uh, or, or the highest ranking angel way back then. In Isaiah, though, in 14, it talks about how he fell. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be worshipped, so he fell. Revelation 12 says when he fell, that he took a third of the angels with him, right? So those are the demons, right? So in all this, I'm trying to say this. Satan knows how to appear holy and good, right? It's not foreign to them. That's where he was once. He can be an angel, right? Yeah, he knows. So don't think that Satan is going to come to you with that red leotard suit, yeah? <laughs> right? With the horns on his head and a pointed tail. And, I, and you'll say, I know who you are. You're the devil. Get away from me. I'm not going to listen to you. No, no, no. This is what Paul is presenting. He's saying, watch out of these false teachers because they're like Satan. They come like an angel of light, like they come from God. Most of the time, that's how Satan's going to approach us, right? And we put down our guard. Oh, yeah, must be from the Lord. And we listen and we take these things. Sometimes he comes to you in, in wonderful ways, like maybe uh, you're single and there's this beautiful girl yeah, in front of you or a handsome man. What's he doing? Trying to tempt you, right? Or he comes with half-truths, right? Mixed with a lie, right? Pulls your emotions into it and goes, oh, yeah, that must be what it is. Unknowingly, it doesn't go with what the Word of God says. He comes with you with some even convincing logic, right? Appealing to your fleshly desires and, 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 and calls you like, see, this is the way it is, and pulls on those things. And, and yeah, and you've you got to be this. You've got to be and lures you. And I call it this way. And I, I, I experienced this. You know, even my logical mind thinks, yeah, this is it. And they're like this. And, and he pulls this darkness into me. This way of my approach or seeing things. A darkness over our soul. Beware of that deception, right? Even if an angel of light, right? Paul says even in Galatians, right? Even if angel of light comes to you with this different gospel, don't listen. Even if angel of light gives you special glasses to read that special book, that other testament of Jesus, don't believe it. You know what I'm talking about. Paul's straightforward here. These false teachers are going to come in. Slippery scammers. Yeah, They're going to look good. They're going to look godly. They're going to look real. They're going to sound real even too. So then, our last verse for today, verse 15. Paul says, 
Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So, so therefore, you guys, he's saying, notice, he's saying, hey, <coughs> it's not a, a, a big deal to see this happening because this is what Satan does. So it's not that, that surprising to see if, notice he says, his ministers, yeah, Whose ministers? Satan's ministers. Satan's tools. That they also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. Yeah? We've come in the name of God. We have the truth. Not Paul. Let me tell you what God has shown us. And this is the truth. Not Paul. We have the corner of truth. So listen to what we're saying. They claim to be apostles. They claim to be pastors of God. They claim to be the spiritual leaders. But Paul's like, hey, don't worry, though. God's going to take care of them. God will bring judgment one day, just like he will with Satan. Their end will be according to their works, according to all the evil that they do. So the idea here is if Satan can appear like an angel, like so can these false teachers. Jesus said the same thing, right? Matthew 7, he warned, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous or vicious what? wolves right and we know the term wolves in sheep's clothing that's what these slippery scammers were they infiltrated the corinthian church they came in and they were really just scamming on the church and they came in looking like they were real sheep john MacArthur put it this way i thought this is this is great he wrote satan is most effective in the church when he comes not as an open enemy but a false friend not when he persecutes the church but when he joins it. Not when he attacks the pulpit, but when he stands in it. So <clears throat> we come to our last point. Paul exposed the truth that these master deceivers were no different from Satan as they looked so godly but were really false teachers. That's our last point here. These master deceivers were no different from Satan as they looked so godly but they were really false teachers. I read this old article how TSA officers at the Orlando International Airport found a loaded 22 caliber handgun. And you know where it was? Stuffed inside a teddy bear. During the screening, they discovered this, of course, in the x-ray. And what happened was this 10-year-old boy was carrying the bear. And the parents said that the bear was given to the boy two days before while they were vacationing there in Orlando. And they are now headed home to Ohio. Well, <laughs> when they traced the gun, it went back to uh, uh, not a report uh, that in 1998 that it was reported stolen in Barstow, California. Um, TSA said it's a good thing they found it. It could have gone off like if the boy was playing with the, the teddy bear and gone off in, in, in flight. But that's like these false teachers. They seem so innocent. They seem so nice and godly. But inside there's a hidden gun of false doctrines and lies. So much so, I was thinking, like this teddy bear, how could anything, right, be anything so bad like a gun be hidden in there? I mean, that, that's, that's the picture they're putting out. It's hard to believe but that's how good their deception was. Be careful, you guys. 
The enemy wants to come pull on your heartstrings, pull on your emotions, wants to come in with your, your and, and, and shake your, uh, come in and, 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 and with your logic, yeah? Come in and say, no, it's like this, and get you off course. You know what I was thinking? Don't be an easy mark for him. I don't want to be that. Don't be such an easy mark that he sends these false prophets to scam on you. But like in verse John, it says, chapter 4, 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Well, as we come to a close here, let's all hold strongly to the truth of God. That's how we're going to know. And that means you've got to know the truth of God in order to hold the truth of God. So that means you've got to study the Word of God. But even more so, you've got to apply the Word of God to your life. And you know what? With those tools, with the truth of God and in your life, pray for discernment. Yeah? Let's not be gullible when it comes to Jesus and the truth of God. Let's recognize the tactics of the enemy to come in and try and fool us. I'll I'll close with this. In the old sci-fi series from the 1960s called Twilight Zone. Remember that? I like the shows. My my wife's like, I don't like it. I'm scared of this. I think it's fun. But anyway, in, in season two... I think it's episode four. There's an episode called Howling Man. And the story goes like this. There's this American traveler finds refuge from, from the storm when he stumbles upon this remote monastery. And there inside, when he takes refuge, he hears the howls of a man locked up in a dungeon. Uh, the, the, these monks tell him, hey, no, no, don't, don't go over there. But the man goes there. And he's pulled there because this man is howling. The howling man then pleads to the American traveler to remove this magical staff which bars the door of the dungeon. And if he would remove it, then this howling man could be free. Well, the head monk, Brother Jerome, tells the American, finally, he, com- he, he, he tells him the truth, that the man in the dungeon is the devil. And he is kept in the cell by the staff of truth. But the traveler doesn't believe the brother Jerome. And the howling man seems so sincere. Oh, you know, really, let me out. These guys are bad guys. And, they're, they're, you know, you got to watch out for them too and all this stuff. He seems so sincere. So he talks this American man into setting him free. Well, as the howling man walks away, his identity is revealed. He turns into the devil, the horns and everything and the, all, all that. What the... Towards the close of this episode, the traveler confesses to that old monk. And he says this, I saw him and I didn't recognize him. Then Brother Jerome replies with these words, That is man's weakness and Satan's strength. We have the same weakness, you guys. But with God, the truth of his word and the Holy Spirit, you don't have to be fooled. Just be alert and beware of the deception. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for the truths that we find in your word.
We thank you what Paul has written here because it makes us aware of ourselves, Lord, that we will not be fooled by Satan's schemes. Lord, we know there's a spiritual battle going on there. There's warfare, Lord, that we cannot see that's, that's real. That the enemy of our souls is out to get us, to steal, kill, and destroy, to divide us, Lord, to bring us down, God, to tempt us into sin. But, Lord, we want to stand upon your truth, God. We don't want to be so gullible. We don't want to be the ones that were an easy mark, Lord, an easy target for Satan. No, Lord, we want to be strong in the truths of God. And we don't want to allow anything of his lies and, and, and his things to get into us or to have an effect on us. So, Lord, help us today, God, to know your word, to know you, to know what the truth is and to hold to that and not be tempted away with our emotions, our own warped logic, God. Not to be tempted away with even uh, hurt, unforgiveness, bitterness, Lord. But that we would truly, God, deal with those things honestly and be freed, Lord, from our own sinful flesh that can trip us up anyway, Lord. But God, thank you that your truth sets us free from the bondage of sin, from the bondage of, of worldly things and even ourselves, Lord. And knowing these truths and what we studied here today, may it free us from the scamming strategies of the devil, Lord. God, help us to stand strong in your might, Lord. Put on the armor and to know you, Jesus, the real Jesus, and love you more and more. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.